I always enjoy the uh, differences between between the first evening of camp and towards the end of camp. Because usually, like, your enthusiasm kind of wanes a little bit, and it kind of cracks me up. So, um, I feel really bad for you all right now. Because I haven't been here for, feels like, a week. So, you all may, how many of you all are tired? Yeah. I am too. I am too. Do what? I know, I heard, like, like swimming, caving, the lake, like, the whole, did y'all go to the lake today? Okay. So, you, yeah, you, you all have hit the gambit, so... There's a lot of times I think, I think Lake Day, I, I've never known Lake Day to go very smoothly for some reason. It's kind of like, oh, oh, okay, was not expecting that one. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You are a spitfire. That is all that I can tell you, like, about this week, so. It was the pool. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was the pool. I, Man, I wish I could remember that little kid's name. Uh, yeah, I might, tell, I might tell that story to you guys in the morning because it won't apply to tonight. But yeah, yeah, I got ambushed in the pool by a little kid. So uh, you're laughing. You haven't even heard the story. Okay, so um, I also lost a toenail at the lake for like <laughs> Mary's sitting in the back. Mary's going, no, no, no. Okay, I'll tell that story real quick because it's actually a really funny story and I reminded Mary of it. I'm going to wait for her to get done drinking because I don't want her to spray it all over Caroline. Um, speaking of, I need, I'm going to bring Caroline up here in a minute when I get done with this story. Uh, so, quick story. A few years back, I don't know how long, but Mary and I were both here and I was speaking that week. And I thought, you know what? We're going to the lake day. It'd be a good idea to bring my jet ski. And some of the campers heard that I was bringing a jet ski. And I was like, nope, no campers. Like, I, I, I stretched it a little bit, letting some of the, like, senior staff ride my jet ski. And uh, Mary rode with me, and we loaded it into the lake. And, like, my little hatchback car was, like, almost underwater trying to get that jet ski off at the, at the boat ramp. And so we take it around to where you guys were at, uh, so that way you know it. And like down there where that little break wall is, I stood in there like all afternoon. And when counselors would bring the jet ski in, they would drive it towards me, which looking back on it was not the smartest idea I ever had of standing between a motorized vehicle that is, has no brakes. Like if you let off the throttle, you can't stop it. And a wall. And I'm standing there and I went to turn around to answer somebody and my foot slipped where I'd been in the water for so long. Like it slipped between two rocks and I felt like my toenail popped straight back. And I don't think I've ever told anybody that part of the story. And I just reached down in there and just popped it back into place. And uh, so I reminded Mary of this. We get back on the jet ski and we're heading back to the marina to load it up and come back to camp. And I think I actually parked it outside of Skolton for like the next couple of days because I didn't leave. And uh, so Mary's riding, riding right behind me, and I go, hey, um, we might have a problem. And she goes, what? And I went, my gas light's blinking. And I was like, they've literally run a tank of gas 
through this jet ski. And she goes, what does that mean? And I went, we, we might run out of gas. I said, I don't know, I've never pushed it this far. Like it's literally blinking at me to let me know that it's, it's almost out. And so Mary, in, in her very polite way, she goes, so what does that mean? And we're, we're hauling down the lake, trying to like beat this gaslight, right? And so we get, all, like, we get to almost where we can go around the point and see. And as I'm telling her over my shoulder, as I'm driving the jet ski, I'm like, I'm like, we're, we're gonna have to get in and swim and push the jet ski. And she goes, I'm not doing that. And I was like, well, there's a paddle. So like one of us can paddle and one of us can, she's like, I'm not doing that. And I was like, great. And about that time, like you could not have timed it any better. The jet ski just goes, wah, bum, bum, bleh, bleh, and just stops. And it's just coasting. And I just look over my shoulder and Mary just goes, mm -mm. <laughs> and I was like, great. So I went, well, I guess there's only one thing I can do. And she goes, get the paddle out. And I was like, nope. And I reached up and I flipped a switch to the reserve tank which sucks about another gallon and a half out of the bottom of the gas tank. So in situations like that, and I fired it back up and she goes, I thought you said we were out of gas. And I was like, yeah, the main tank was, we have a reserve tank. And then I just took off. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> but when I, when I was telling that story, she goes, I totally forgot about that part. And I was like, yeah, we tend to like block out trauma. So <laughs> it's okay, but we survived. My toenail didn't, but we survived. So um, anyway. Yeah. Yes, I have, no, I have no idea. Like, Did you was it twenty-one? Did you say twenty-one? Was it that long ago? Twelve years ago? I was gonna say it's been a while. It was back before I got married and before I was dating my wife. So yeah, it had been twelve or thirteen years ago. So, yep, that was a while back. So uh, that jet ski got totaled um, last year. Yeah, a tree fell on it and just. Annihilated it, so it's okay. Yeah, it's not it's not sunk or anything. It's just dead. So uh, anyway, before I go into um, the lesson tonight, Caroline pointed out something to me today, right before chapel started, and I was like, I was like, you're right. And so instead of getting up here and me telling you, I'm gonna let her do it because she put it like she was excited to tell me. Can she use this one? Okay. Do you want me to stand near her so it goes through the podcast, or can you send that to the podcast? Okay. So, do you want me to put it in reference, or do you want to put it in reference? I don't think it's turned off, is it? Okay. You want to try it? All right. All right. Do you want me to put it in context, or you want to put it in context? Okay, go for it. All right. Is this thing working? Can you all hear me, or do I need to scream? All right, cool. So you guys know how on Tuesday he was talking about Peter walking on the water. Do, 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 wee! Peter walking on the water. That was better than I did it. And he said that the next time Peter was probably a lot more confident getting off the boat, you know, if there ever was a next time. Well, I was thinking and I went, wait sure a minute. There was. was a next time. So this next time was quite a while after that. Jesus has already died, buried, come back, yidi yada. Jesus is back. <laughs> Jesus has died, buried, raised, yada, yada. Yeah, he, like, he, he's appeared to like several people at this point. It's, it's, but it, Peter and some of, his, some of the other disciples, Peter goes, hey guys, 
you know what I did before this? I was a fisherman. I'm going to go do some, some fishing. Y'all want to come? And everyone's like, yeah, sure, got nothing better to do. So they all go out, and they're fishing, and they're not catching anything. And they're fishing, and they're not catching anything. Fishing, and not catching anything. You know, the usual. And then there's a man standing on the beach that's like, hey, you guys got anything? And they've experienced this before, but they still go, no. And he goes, hey, throw the net out on the right side of the boat. And they've experienced this before. So they throw the net out on the right side of the boat. And they haul it, and they could not pull the net in because it was so full of fish. And in John 21, verse 7, it says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the in verse 8, But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So the second time Peter saw Jesus way out there, his first instinct was, into the water, off we go, towards Jesus. Thank you, ma'am. She was about that enthusiastic when she was telling me that earlier. So thank you very much, Caroline. I, I, I like that story, too, because once again, like the disciples don't recognize that it's Jesus standing on the shore. And uh, so he calls out to them and he goes, hey, are you guys catching anything? They've been fishing all night. And they, they're like, no. And he goes, really? And they go, yeah, like we haven't caught a thing. And then he says one of the greatest things in the world to him. He goes, have you tried throwing your nets on the other side of the boat? Because, like, they're not fishing, like, with rods and reels. Like, they're net fishing. And they're, I can imagine them being like, have we tried putting it on the other side of the boat? This is our job. Like, of course we've done that. And they're like, fine, let's do it. And then the Bible says that they had such a great multitude of fish that it started pulling the boats underwater. And, like, they turned around and realized that it was Jesus. And, uh, like... She said Peter just cautioned to the wind, dove in, and went after him. And uh, one of my other favorite things is when the rest of the disciples get to the shore, Jesus is cooking fish. Like they've been struggling all night to catch it, and Jesus is just sitting there cooking them some food. And uh, we're actually going to get into that, so thank you. This is going to be a really good segue. Uh, because that is, once again, proof of how God does stuff for us. Like, even when we don't know that he's working, even when we don't see it, like he's doing a work in us and for us and through us to reach others. And that's uh, an example that I want to show you guys tonight. So turn in your Bibles to the book of First Kings. It's in the Old Testament. <clears throat> I could have told you that before Caroline got up here, but I, didn't, I wanted you all to, like, hear what she had to say. Um... But in the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter number 18, I'll go on and tell you that. Uh, and it starts out, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. Uh, king Ahab is the king of Israel. And this is not like the other night uh, when we were talking about Ehud or Ehud. Like the children of Israel are not enslaved to anybody, they're not being overthrown by anybody. 
um, Ahab is a king of Israel. Like he, he has become the king of God's chosen people, and he's horrible. And I don't mean like he's a bad leader in that he doesn't know how to lead. He's literally evil. Um, his wife Jezebel, anybody heard that name? Yep, okay. Uh, his wife Jezebel worships, uh, most of the time we just translate it Baal, B-A-A-L, uh, which is a false god. But it's literally Baals, B-A-A-L-S. And it is a family or a grouping of many gods. And not many, tiny, many, numerous. Uh, and it, they're like the god of the sky, the god of the dirt, the god of the wind, the god of the water, but they are all some form of the name Baal. <clears throat> and that's who she has been trying to get, not just trying to get, they've kind of made it like law that that's who you have to worship. And they've abused, imprisoned, killed anybody that stands up for God. And so they're kind of in this place where, where people are afraid to speak out for God and against the government, religion. And then comes in Elijah, a prophet. Uh, in the book of Judges, God used Judges. Now we're in the book of all the major and minor prophets, and so God is using prophets. People who speak, once again, on behalf of, of God to the children of Israel. In verse number 17, or chapter 17, I'll read this, don't worry about this. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, the king of Israel, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So because of how evil they are and Ahab won't turn back to God, Elijah says, Hey, until you turn back to God and you stop worshiping these false idols, there's not going to be any rain. Not just any rain. Like, there's not even going to be dew on the ground. Like, when you wake up in the morning, the ground is just going to be crispy. Like, you're going to wake up early in the morning to go running through the fields and get dew all over your pants and, like, feel the coolness of the, of the morning, and it's not going to be there. It's just going to be dust. Okay? Like, no water whatsoever. Now, normally that might scare somebody, but Ahab's like, Psh, we're worshiping Baal. Like, he's not going to hear that. Like, your God's not going to hear that because your God's not real. So then that takes us over to chapter number 18. And it says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. The third year of the drought. They're three years into this. No rain, no dew, nothing. They haven't seen a cloud in the sky for over three years. That's interesting. They still had some rivers and stuff like that, but they weren't able to grow as many crops, so there's literally a famine in the land too. And when they talk about a famine, it's not just talking about crops. Livestock are suffering because they don't have water. Crops are suffering because they don't have water. People are suffering because they don't have meat, crops, or water. So it's, it's a bad deal. But still, Ahab hasn't turned. So it says, So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Um, 
Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in the cave, and fed them with food and water. And Ahab, I think this microphone's cutting out, Paul. Is it cutting out because of the battery? Okay. Okay. I just thought it did. Okay. Um... Verse number five, and Ahab said to Obadiah, go through all the land, all the springs of water, into all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through. So here we have him, and he's telling, like, the guy that's over basically their church. Um, they've taken this prophet of God and kind of put him in this place, and he's kind of serving out of fear. And he's like, hey, I need you to go and search everywhere just to see if you can find grass for our horses and our cattle to eat because there hasn't been water for three years. So he's going all around and he happens upon Elijah and he runs into Elijah and Elijah goes, Hey, Obadiah, um, I need to see Ahab and Obadiah. And I'm paraphrasing like the next little bit, Obadiah looks at him and he goes, um, okay. And Ahab goes, you're basically his right-hand man. Can you go tell him? And he goes, I can't go tell him. And I was just like, why can't you go tell him? And he goes, if I go and tell him that I talk to you and you want to meet with him, he's going to kill me. Seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? But he was told to go find what? Water. Grass, water, somewhere for the cows to graze. And he's like, if I go back and I haven't found that, that's going to be bad. And then if I go back and I tell him that you want to meet with him, and that means that I've met with you, like I'm going to be killed. And Elijah's like, you don't have to worry about that. Like, I'll go with you. Like, we'll do it today. And so Elijah goes. And <clears throat> verse number 11, it says, Now go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. And I, and I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord for, from from my youth. So there's what Obadiah thinks is about to happen. Like he's like, hey, I'm going to go back and tell him that you want to meet with him and then you're going to run away and he's going to take my life. Like this is, this is the whole process that he's thinking. And he goes through and he starts telling Elijah, like I went and I, I hid all the prophets of, of God and I fed them as best I could in the caves, like trying to keep them safe. And he's like, I'm, I'm trying to do what I can. And Elijah's like, hey, chill out. Not a problem. So in verse number 16, it says, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Verse 17, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, It is you, you troubler of Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. So when Ahab meets up with Elijah, he goes, There you are, you troublemaker. Anybody ever get called a troublemaker? Yeah, yeah, I did too. Okay, like that was just my little thing. It was like my mom would go, here comes trouble. Because like insanity ensued wherever I went. And the problem was it usually wasn't me that did it. I was really good at convincing other people to do it. And so like that's kind of like where Ahab's here. He goes up and he goes, he goes, there's the reason that we, that we haven't had any rain. Because he remembered that Elijah said, unless you turn back to God, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. Well, all Ahab heard was, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. And so this whole three years, 
he's looking for an excuse for what he's going through on the outside. He's not looking at himself. Like he totally missed that part. It's almost like Elijah is standing in front of him with a mirror and he's going, hey Ahab, here's your problem. And Ahab's looking around the mirror going, yep, he's standing right there behind it. And Elijah's going, no, look, look in the mirror. And Ahab's going, nope, I see you, you're the problem, you're the problem. Like, I don't care what you're trying to show me, you're the problem. And he goes, you're a troublemaker, you're the reason it hasn't rained. And Elijah's like, no, you're the reason it hasn't rained. And so they kind of go this whole back and forth thing. It says, now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And well, this is Elijah speaking. He says, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So right there, Elijah is saying, hey, go and get all of your prophets, your prophets, that follow your, your false gods, and tell them to meet me up on the mountain, and we're going to have a contest. Anybody like contests like that? Like showdowns? Okay, this is like throwdown at the OK Corral. I never said showdown. I always thought it was a throwdown, but does anybody know what I just referenced there? Tombstone? Oh, shoot out at the OK Corral. Okay, anyway, so Elijah goes up on there, up on the mountain. So here we go, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, and I love this. He goes, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Not just limping, like that word is translated limp, limping, but it's also translated later on in this chapel, or this chapel, this chapter as leaping, or dancing, or jostling. And what he's asking them is, is how can you all survive in this life jumping between two different opinions? So what are those two different opinions? He says right here, if the, Lord is, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people didn't answer. So Elijah goes, hey, listen, all of Israel, like they're all there at the base of the mountain, like getting ready to watch what's about to happen. They're getting ready to watch the throwdown. Okay, if this was in modern times, it would probably be on pay-per-view in like one of those octagon rings. And it'd be like MMA style. I'm just kidding. And Elijah goes, hey, right now, you all can end this. Stop waffling. Stop, stop wavering between these two different opinions. Either God is who he says he is or Baal is who he says he is. Quit trying to serve both of them. Like, turn to God and this drought ends. Or continue after Baal. Like, go after it wholeheartedly. And you're still going to suffer. He's like, quit playing the middle ground. Like the Bible tells us way too many times, you can't serve God and man. Like you, you can't come to God halfway. And in retrospect, you can't even come to man halfway. Like both of them demand 100% of who you are. And so what he's saying, he's saying quit riding the fence. Quit trying to straddle the line. Like quit trying to just, just hey, I'm trying to please both sides. He's saying pick a side. And he's like, and to help you out, we're going to have a contest. It's not going to be on YouTube. It's going to be live right here in front of you. We're going to do it right now. So it says the people didn't answer. 
Then Elijah, in verse number 22, said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. This will actually come up a little bit later. So he's saying, I'm the only one that's left that serves God. But Baal has 450 men. He, he's, pumping up this, he's pumping this thing up. He's going, he's, it's going like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Anybody ever remember those commercials? Like the monster truck commercials? It was like at an arena near you, and he's like, Elijah, he's one man, one prophet of God against the entire 450 prophets of Baal, 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 you know. So it's like, it's like, come on, kids, 12 and under are free. Okay, so, so he's telling them, he's like, this throwdown's about to happen, and it's me against them, all of them. He's like, it's going to be a throwdown like nothing else. And then everybody gets up there, and he goes, here's what we're going to do. He goes, we're going to build two altars, since there's two of us. Theoretically, there's two of us. There's me. And then all y'all. Y'all do know in the South, there's like y'all, all y'all. Okay. Bless your heart, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he's like, he's like, so there's me, and then there's all y'all. And he goes, me is going to get one altar. All y'all are going to get one altar. And we're going to put a sacrifice on that. And so he tells them, he's like, we're going to build an altar. So they build altars. And then he says, here's what else we're going to do. We're going to get two oxen, like two bulls, two calves, two cows. And he's like, and we're going to bring those up there. You get to choose which one is yours. He said, I'm not going to pick for you to make this fair. You get to pick your offering. And so they come up, and I can just imagine like 400 men walking around this cow, like these cows trying to figure out which one they want. And probably like 275 of them are like, that one. And then some other ones are like, you know, but then eventually they pick one, and Elijah goes, let's make this interesting. Cut it up. So they slaughter it. They cut it up. There's, I know this is going to sound gruesome, there's blood everywhere. What is blood? It's wet, right? It's got water in it. But it's wet. It's a liquid. And he's like, cut it up. And like the altar is soaked. And he goes, here's what we're going to do. You pray to your God that he will burn up that, that sacrifice because we're not going to light a fire under it. I want you to call down fire from heaven onto that altar. And he said, and if your God does it, you win. And so 450 prophets of Baal start calling out to their false god because they believe that, that it's going to happen. They're also very fearful because you have to think about it. The queen and the king are relying on them to win. And what happens if they don't win? Anybody ever watched Alice in Wonderland? The queen of hearts? Off with their heads. She, she's going to be like, y'all lost? You're done. Okay? Ain't happy. You're done. So they start just going crazy. And I love it because Elijah's just kind of sitting over here biding his time. Like he's just chilling out, just watching the whole thing happen. And this goes on for hours. Hours. Look right here. Um, you call upon the name. Then Elijah said to the prophets, choose your bull. That's verse 25, number 26. 
and they took the bowl that was given them and prepared it. Uh, and they, okay, here's where it is. Uh, verse number 20, 26. Yep, 26. Uh, about halfway through, they start crying out from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped, or leaped, or leapt, or danced, or foraged, I don't know, just, they were just going crazy around the altar that they had made. Verse number 27, and at noon, I love this, it says, Elijah, what? Mocked. Them saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Like, he starts mocking them. They've been doing this since breakfast, and it's lunchtime. In my little guy's world, that's like 38 hours in a 24-hour day. <laughs> like, when they are home and they eat breakfast, which is usually like cheddar rounds, because we, we buy those and make them for them, it's like cheddar rounds, eggs, waffles. Like, they get like a full-blown breakfast. And like five minutes later, they go, can I have a snack? No, you just ate. As a matter of fact, you left half of it sitting on the plate. If you want a snack, finish breakfast. So it's a long period of time. And here Elijah's mocking them, and he goes, hey, maybe you need to cry louder because, I mean, he is a god. And here's what he means by that, because it tells us in the rest of the verse, he goes, either he's musing or meditating, or he's relieving himself. How we end up at the bathroom in two separate nights, I don't know. But that's what he says. He goes, maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's meditating on the toilet. I don't know. Maybe he's like most guys, takes his phone in there. Like, I don't know. They're like, what's a phone? Don't worry about it. Or he's relieving himself. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's left. Maybe that's why he can't hear you. Maybe he's walked away from that little spot in the sky you all are screaming at. And he's on a journey and he's just too far away to hear you. He goes, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. I love this. Here's why I love camp ministry. I, as a camp speaker, kind of flit in and out. I used to come and spend like all week, didn't I? Like I loved it and I was exhausted, just like you all were, are. But there was a time where I was a camp counselor at a totally different camp and I love to tell this story because it was my job to wake up the campers. And the deeper into the week it went, the worse I made it on the campers. And so there was this one night, this kid kept climbing in the rafters, and it was making me mad because I kept telling him to get down. And when he finally got down and he went to sleep, his, his, like his counselor and his youth pastor and I duct taped him to his bed. Okay, he was in his sleeping bag. We didn't put duct tape directly on his body. We literally just wrapped him to where he couldn't move. Kids slept through it. The next morning, we had a staff meeting early before everybody else had to get up. And the camp director goes, Jared, um, you need to go wake up the boys. Yes, sir. <laughs> On my way down to the barn, it was literally an old tobacco barn, where 72 boys were asleep, I grabbed a weed eater <laughs> on my way down. And that's how I woke them up. But I made sure I was standing right next to that kid's bed. It didn't have string in it, so I wasn't going to, like, lash anybody. It was just noise. I literally went right beside of that kid's bed. 
there were youth pastors and chaperones scrambling to get out of there. <laughs> and I, I primed that weed eater, and I pulled on it once, and it just kind of went blah, blah, blah. And I was like, please don't. If ever there was a moment where this thing needs to start, it needs to be right now. And I pulled that thing a second time, and that thing roars to life. There were kids scrambling everywhere. <laughs> Except for one who was duct taped to his bed. And he is crying. And I shut the weed eater off and I went, good morning. I was like, breakfast is in half an hour. See you all up there. And then I climbed up in that kid's bed and I went, I don't ever want to see you in the rafters again. And he goes, yes, sir. And then in a dramatic fashion, I pulled a pocket knife out of my pocket and flipped it open in front of his face. And I went, I'm going to cut you out of here. He's like, thank you. And I just like cut the duct tape. And two years later, he came back to camp. And I was like, okay, guys, here's the rules of the barn. And there were kids talking. And he went, shut up. And like the whole place went quiet. And he goes, listen to him. <laughs> so, so yeah. So. Like I said, I, I have done this for a while, but that's what Elijah's saying. He goes, he goes, maybe he's sleeping, and you just need to you just need to grab a weed eater and make more noise. Like he just starts throwing all this stuff at him. And here's what's funny. Verse number 28, and they cried louder. But not only that, it says that they began to cut themselves as was their custom until the blood gushed out of them. And it says, and as midday passed, they raved on, not rave like, you know, not that, but it's like they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Do you know why? Because there was no one to hear them and to answer them. They believed so wholeheartedly in what they were trying to do that they began to like torture themselves to try and get their God's attention. Do you know what we have to do to get God's attention? Hey God. And we're there. That's all we have to do. We don't have to scream. We don't have to send an email. We don't have to like post a tweet and hope he sees it. We just have to call on him, and he's there. So then, verse number 30, Elijah says to all the people, come near to me, and all the people came near to him, and he, re he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, or the tribes of Israel, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with these stones he built an altar. So he begins, to fill, he begins to build this altar. He puts his calf, or his bull, on the altar. And then he tells the people that are standing around, he goes, hey, I need you to do me a favor. And they go, okay, what? He goes, I need you to build a moat around this. They're like, what? And he goes, I need you to dig a ditch in a circle around the altar, otherwise known as a moat. And he goes, dig one. So they dig one. They're like, why, do we, why are we doing this? He goes, just do it. So they dig one. And then he goes, here's what I need you to do. You see all those pitchers over there? He goes, go fill four of those jars with water and come and pour it 
on the offering and the wood and the altar and everything. And they did it. And then he goes, do it again. Okay, what have they not had for three years? Water. water. What is he doing? He's pouring water. In their eyes, he's wasting water. Water in this situation is power. Whoever controls water is a very powerful person. Like, it's more precious than anything else because they haven't had it for three years. They've been searching for just a little patch of grass so they don't have to slaughter their cattle. And he's pouring water on it. And so they pour bi four big jars of it, and he goes, another. So they do it a second time, and he goes, yeah, do it again. So they do it a third time, and then they look over at him, and he goes, sure, let's do it four times. So they do it a fourth time. So much so that there's no more water soaking into anything, and it's literally filling up the moat that they put around it. Like, this thing is saturated. There are people in attendance that would probably have gladly thrown themselves in front of that altar just to drink that water. Like, that's how precious this was. And, I mean, it's soaking wet. It says, the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. Verse number 36, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God of Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood excuse me, and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, the Lord is he, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And after this, like Elijah sees all the people of Israel turn back to God because they've seen this great and miraculous thing. And he chases the, ch the prophets of Baal down to the brook and it says that he slaughtered them there. So he literally annihilates all of them. And I know y'all are going, well, that's pretty cruel. They were going to die. If they went back to Jezebel because they had lost, she was going to kill them anyway. But Elijah does it because it was what he was commanded to do. And then it says, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. Elijah goes, I think I can hear the rain coming. And he tells Elijah, he said, you or Ahab, he says, you better go get ready because the rain's coming. And I love this because Ahab, or Elijah, goes all the way up on top of the mountain and he begins to pray and he begins to worship God. And he sends one of, one of the people that are with him and he goes, hey, can you go look and see if there's rain actually coming? <laughs> like I just told the king that I could hear rain coming and I hope that there's rain coming. And the guy comes running back up to him and he goes, nope. No rain. And Elijah goes, okay, go again. And the guy goes again. And he goes again. And he goes again. And he does this seven times. And on the seventh time, he comes running back up and he goes, hey, Elijah, I saw a cloud. And Elijah's like, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, it was about this big. He goes, what? And he goes, it was about the size of a man's hand but I saw a cloud. And Elijah begins to rejoice. You know what's significant about the number seven? 
How many days are in creation? Seven. seven, right? Six days of creation, seventh day God rested. Seven is the number of completion or maturity or perfection. It's also the number of God. And in those seven times, God is saying to him, Hey, Elijah, it's done. It's complete. You've done what I've asked you to do. So Elijah tells, tells his servant, and then he goes, Hey, go and tell Ahab, if you haven't left yet, you better do it because you're about to get stuck. There's going to be so much water, you are just going to get stuck. And I love this because in verse number 45 it says, And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went back to Jezebel. So in the midst of all this, Ahab hasn't learned a thing. And he goes back to his wife and he goes, Jezebel, they beat me. Like, like we lost. Like he goes back to her and he's, he's whining and he's complaining. And Jezebel goes, who did this to you? And he goes, it was Elijah. And she was like, he's dead. And like she begins to hunt Elijah. Oh. And Elijah runs away and hides. And why does he do that? Because he's scared. And I love this part because what has Elijah just witnessed? A miracle, right? Not just one. In that one day, he's witnessed literally three miracles because number one, there hasn't been rain and any water of any kind in over three years. So that's still happening. Number two, he's just watched God burn up completely. Okay, I really wish that, that you could grasp this because I, I struggle with it too. It wasn't just the offering and the water. It was the stones. Like everything was literally turned to ash right there. Have you ever tried to burn rocks? Yeah, it doesn't happen. God did it. Like literal dust. It's just a pile of dust right there. Like Elijah's just witnessed that. He's just witnessed an entire nation turn back to God. And one woman goes, I'm mad at you, and I'm going to kill you. And he goes, oh, no. Not like that TikTok sound. Like, I, bleh, I hate that one. But anyway, he's like, he's like, like, he freaks out. And he runs away, and he hides. And I love this, because in, verse, in chapter number 19, verse number 9, it says, there he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. Like, I have, I have, I have given myself to you. The Lord God of hosts, for the, Is for the people of Israel had forsaken your co covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Like, he's having a pity party right now. You just saw God burn up an altar, and you defeated 450 prophets, and he's worried about Jezebel, and he's having himself a pity party, and God's like, what you doing here, Elijah? And he goes, pouting. God, it's just me. Th that's one of the greatest things in the world, because it's not just Elijah. It wasn't just Elijah against 450 prophets. It was Elijah and God. 
Like this size comparison is horrible, but I'm gonna throw it out here because it popped in my head and I have no filter from here to here sometimes. Um, Ant-Man, as tiny as he can get into the quantum realm, is Elijah. And God is Hulk standing behind him. And he's like, Elijah, they, they honestly can't even see you because I'm, I'm here. Like that, that's who I am. That's what it is. When, when, when we have these things that seem impossible and insurmountable, that's the power we have with us. It's not because of anything that Elijah did. Outside of just his obedience and his willingness to stand. Everything that happened was because of God. And then he's standing here and God's like, what's going on, man? He's like, they're trying to kill me. It's just me. But here's the cool thing. God lets him have his pity party. Like God lets him, lets him sulk for a minute. And he said, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. So God tells Elijah, he goes, hey, go stand out here. And then God literally walked by, which makes my metaphor even better. Like little tiny man, really big giant man. And he, God goes walking by and it says that there is this huge wind that literally rips the rocks of the mountains apart. And it says, but God wasn't there. God wasn't in that. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind tore and broken pieces right there but he was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. And guess what? The Lord wasn't in that fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, a lot of times like we hear that and it says that there was a low whisper but also another translation for that word is silence. So it says, after the wind and the rocks breaking apart, after the wind was an earthquake, after the earthquake was a fire, after the fire was a low whisper or silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went down and stood at the entrance and behold, there came a voice to him. Elijah knew in that moment, in that silence, that God was there. Just like the disciples with the storm and how crazy that was, what happened after it when God got there? There was calm, there was peace, there was stillness. The children of Israel can see what's happening here. They see the wind. They see the rocks going crazy. They feel the earthquake. They see the fire. They're wondering what in the world is going on up on top of this mountain. And then they hear the quiet. And Elijah walks out because he knows that that's where God is. And I love it. Check this out. So it says, Elijah heard it. And it says, behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says the exact same thing. He goes, God, I, I've done this work for you. The, the Lord, the God of hosts, and the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. And now they're trying to come after me with swords like they're still trying to kill me. He goes, I'm the only one left. And God kind of looks at him and he goes, are you done? Because I've got a job for you. I need you to go do something. 
God still wanted to use him. Too many times in our life we see God do something crazy. We see God do something miraculous. We're here at camp and we're like, man, it's so, it's so great to be at camp because I can worship and I can be around people that are talking about Jesus and I can do this and I can do that. And then we go home and like there's that one adversity that pops up and we just deflate. And God goes, hey, what are you doing? And we go, I just, and we start making excuses. And then like he shows himself to us again. And we go, yeah, I know that that's you. And he goes, so what's the problem? And we go, and we come up with another excuse. But here's the cool thing. He doesn't walk away from us in those moments. He goes, okay, I still have a job for you. I still need you to go. I still need you to go do something for me. We sang about it, and we're going to sing about it here again in a second. Here's what I love about moments like this. When Uncle Paul first told me what was going on for this week, the very first thing that I wrote down that I wanted to do was this lesson tonight. Like the last night that I was going to be here, I'm like, usually I start at the beginning. This time I was like, nope, starting at the end. That's where I want to be. And I literally wrote down in my phone on my notes this passage and like key points in it. And then I wrote Waymaker. And I was sitting back there in the back and I was praying before you guys got in here. And I was like, God, I just, I, I want to see you do something. Like, I, I want to know that like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And I was sitting back there and I was kind of studying and I was praying and Isaac comes walking in and he walked over there to Stephen and he goes, he goes, do you have Waymaker in there yet? And I jumped up and I was like, did you just say you're doing Waymaker? And he goes, yeah. And I pulled out my phone. And I was like, look at this. And we had not talked at all. And like, we just kind of fist bumped each other and we were like, okay, we got this. But we can do that because God has told us, hey, I need you to go. I need you to do this. And when you follow after God, things like that start falling into place. Because we talked about it the other night in Isaiah 45, he says, I've gone before you and made the way how it needs to be. You just have to follow. You just have to take that next step. A lot of times we want God to light up the entire path. In the book of Psalms, it says what? The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our, right. And what that means is the word of God, when we read it, when we study it, and when we go and pursue after God, he lights up the next step. We want him to light up the entire journey. But he just wants us to, to light up that, he just wants to light up that next step to see if that's where we're going to go. And that's what he's doing with Elijah. He goes, hey, Elijah, you're, you're here, and I need you there. So are you going to be willing to go there? And just to let you know, when it says a light to my path, that's literally talking about you could turn around, and the whole thing is illuminated with what God has done to bring you to this point where he needs to light up your next step. And there's a lot of us that we're standing here, and God's going, I need you there. And we're going, I can see that but I don't know if that's where I need to be. What if I need to be over here? And God's going, no, I need you here. But we want to go, but why not over here? And that's kind of what Elijah's doing. Elijah's going, I want to be over here in the dark and have my little pity party. And God goes, no, I need you over here. You know what God wanted Elijah to go do? He wanted him to go find Elisha, his successor. 
the next big guy to go and prophesy to all of Israel. You want to know why? Elijah's pity party is, yeah, God, I saw you do this miraculous thing, and you came down, and you destroyed 450 prophets of Baal, and the entire nation turned back to you, but I'm all alone. It's just me. And God goes, okay, I hear you. There's somebody else out there. You're not going to be alone anymore. And it tells us that Elijah goes, okay, and he begins that journey. God knew what he needed, and he provided it. And so Elijah took that next step, and then God goes, there's the next one. There's the next one. There's the next one. So if I, if I can encourage you with anything tonight, it's, you're not alone. Sometimes you may think that you are, but you're not. God has provided a way. And God has provided a way because he wants to use you. He wants to use you. He's preparing you for all of this. Every step of the way. Whatever the storm is, like we talked about the other night, don't be afraid to face the storm and just go at it knowing God's there and he's going to bring you through it. Just like this, I mean, Elijah's standing there and he's going, scream a little louder. And they start screaming louder and he goes, maybe louder. And they start going crazy again. And he's, he's openly mocking them like he has this bravery because he knows who's on his side. And then a chapter later, he's hiding in a cave going, that mean lady wants to hurt me. <laughs> so where are you in this story? Are you here, like, boldly proclaiming God and fighting for him and standing there against everything that can come against you? Or are you at the point where you're having a pity party for yourself over here going, but God, when I leave camp, it's just going to be me. I hate to admit this sometimes, I'm more in the cave than I am at the altar. Because there's so many times where like the world like starts weighing down on you and it, it just seems like a never ending flow. I was trying to tell Uncle Paul like, like I, I get up as early as my body will literally let me get up to start my day. And from the get go, it's just go, 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 go. And I could so easily go, God, I don't have time. God, I'm going to be over here in my cave having my little pity party because it's just me. As much as I want it to be me and you, like, I can't get there. And, like, I have to make that time to, like, listen for the quiet. Because I try to fill my life with all the noise. And my life is filled with all the noise whether I want it to or not. I'm going to have Scout, my youngest, with me tomorrow. Some of you all may have met Scout. Some of you all may have not. He's nonstop. He'll be kind of quiet tomorrow because you all are here, but the child never stops. And there are times where I just want to duct tape his mouth shut. <laughs> kind of like I did that kid on the bed, just wrap it around it and just go, mm, uh, 16 layers, it's not enough. But then I realize... 
like there's moments where I don't get to hear that little voice. And like I'm reminded that there's a lot of times where I duct tape my own mouth shut spiritually. And I go, I go, God, I, I, I can't do it. And all he wants to do is hear my voice. And that's the amazing thing is I, I don't have to scream and yell and hope that I get his attention. It's literally just. And God goes, what you got going on, Jared? Well, God, this is going on. This has me weighed down. What are we going to do about that? Uh, I've already taken care of it. So come on, let's go. Yeah, but God, I want to sit here and have my pity party. Okay, let's do it for a little bit. Okay, you ready? Let's go. My wife looks at me so many times and she goes, are you done pouting? No. Okay, Jared, you're 43 years old. I know, but just let me have my moment. <laughs> and she'll literally stand there and she'll go, three, two, one. Okay, let's go. That's enough. And in all honesty, God's kind of doing the same thing sometimes. Okay, like, that's enough. Let's go. We got things to do. We got people to talk to. We've got, we've got things to happen. Like, let's go. Let's go. So like I said, I don't know where you guys are. I don't know if you're standing over here and you were just so emboldened and you all are just so ready to go attack this world and not really openly mock people for what they believe, but literally just go, hey, I've got something better. I've got something way better. And it's okay to be over here in the cave going, God, I don't know what to do. It's just me sometimes. He's going to provide a way. So let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Where are you at? Spiritually. On the inside. More importantly, where do you want to be? And if the answer is wrapped up in the arms of Jesus, charging forward, there's not some grand equation that gets you to that point. It's simply calling out to God. And it can even be whispering to him. Because I can imagine that a whisper of a child of God in his ears is just as loud as the loudest scream of, Father, I need you. He's that close. You don't have to scream louder than somebody else to get his attention. You don't have to worry about if he's not where he's supposed to be and he's off traipsing through the woods somewhere. He's just a whisper away. And this is going to sound really funny right before Isaac starts playing. Oh, that was really good timing. Right before he starts playing. 
Sometimes you may just need to ask God for that quiet. Just that moment in your life. Or just like it says in Psalms 46.10, that you need a moment where you can just be still and know that God simply is. And there may be some of you all during this week through whatever devotions you've been going through or whatever lessons you've gone through, you may go, Jared, I don't, I don't know what it means to have this dialogue, this relationship with God where I can just call on him because I, I don't know how to get there. The Bible tells us that over 2,000 years ago, child was born, lived a perfect sinless life for 33 years, and then he was hung on a cross where he bled and he died. And then he was buried, and thank God it was in a borrowed tomb, because it wasn't going to be a permanent situation. Three days later, the stone was rolled away and Jesus, the Son of God, came out victorious over death, hell, the grave, and whatever sin is holding you down. And he appeared before his disciples and he said, hey, look at the scars in my hands. Look at the scars in my feet. Touch the, touch the wound in my side. Know that it's me. Know that I'm real. And all he asks that you do is believe that he is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for you. And in accepting that grace and that mercy and that love to ask forgiveness of your sins and to know that he's going to cover it and here's the amazing thing. When you call out to God as a father and you say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. He hears his son. He hears his daughter. I could be on a crowded playground at home at a park near our house with hundreds of little screaming kids. And I can tell you exactly where my two boys are because I know their voices and they know mine. And when they call out, Daddy, I go and I seek them out because I know that they need me. And that's what God is doing in this moment. You may be at the altar and you may be on this mountaintop where God has shown himself and he's doing a mighty thing in front of you and, and, and through you, and that may be where you are, and praise God for that. And then there may be some of you all that you're hiding out in the cave, and you're, gone, you're going, God, I, I, I need a way out. God, I need you to make a way for me to get out. God, I, I feel like I'm alone. God, show me somehow that I'm not. <laughs> 